Howdy ho, everybody. Welcome to another week of The Encounter. I'm going to be the host today because here in a couple weeks, I get the lessons and I don't like talking about myself. So, um, what? so I get the hosting. You don't, don't like talking you know, about yourself? I really don't. It's a show if I do. <laughs> um, so I'm going to get the next two weeks as the host, uh, lesson three and lesson four uh, from Reverend Jennifer. And then um, Becky will take over the next four weeks uh, and then we'll see what happens from there. But before we get jumping in, my name's Chris Fleming. I'm the Adult Ministry Coordinator for the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and uh, welcome. Um, I, I love this quarter um, very much, so I'm really excited about uh, talking about it. Uh, I'm going to let Becky introduce herself. Hello, I'm Becky Zardi. I'm the Director of Ministry with Women for the Ministry Council for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and that just, I swear that gets longer every week. It does. It's a long title, yeah. Thank and I'm glad to be here. I'm glad y'all are, are joining us today. And, and thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, Becky and I are doing a young adult um, retreat uh, that will yes. take place kind of the end of we April. Start, through yeah, July. we start April 28th. Right. We're really excited about it. We're going to be talking about spiritual disciplines and how to incorporate spiritual disciplines in your life. So if you are college age um, and interested. We would say college age up to, you know you know, late twenties. I mean, late twenties. Okay. So I mean, we'll take join it. us, yeah. join us. We would love to have you. It's going to be, um, I think eight weeks online mm-hmm. and then we're going to do four days up in the Smokies and uh, put all we're those all spiritual together. practices together as one group. Really excited about that. I as well. So we're going to the third lesson uh, of this spring encounter. It's going to be for Sunday, March 20th. It's going to be John 18, verses 12 through 27. You're going to notice the big slowdown in John, and we'll talk about it a little bit in the lesson. Uh, we're going to stay in chapters 18, 19, and 20 pretty much for the rest of the, 20, yeah, for the, rest of the, rest of the quarter. So um, our prayer for illumination today. Almighty God, open our minds to what you want us to know. Open our hearts to what you want us to feel. Open our hands to what you would want us to receive. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who in faithfulness endured shame and humility. Amen. All right. So when I wrote that prayer, I, I put shame and humility because I we're going to talk about it in the lesson. Even though he was beat, stripped, hung on a cross, he retained his dignity in doing so because he was choosing to do this. And it wasn't a forced humiliation. So I just wanted to bring that up. That's why I said humility instead of humiliation. And that will come important in our lesson here today. So our memory verse, John 18, 23, Jesus answered, if I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong, but if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Um, And then we start with this introduction, which I think is a fantastic introduction. And I still, I'm not old enough to forget the struggle that I had when I became a Christian at all. Like it was very, uh, I had prodded, I had some pride in the fact that I was an anti-religious person. All of my friends were, except for two, and those two played faithful roles in my lives, but were very anti-religious. And that was somewhat of my identity. And then Easter Sunday morning, I had this conversion experience and I was like, well, now who am I? And where do I belong? Will people like me, not like me? And so that's real. So I'll, Reverend. Tell me about yeah. how this uh, discussion question would would uh, hit you. Think that about one was, yeah. 
Think about the different times in your life when you've had to choose whether to take a stand for Christ or to hide your faith. What did you choose? Why? What was the outcome? Given the opportunity to go back to relive the experience, would you do things differently? So what you got? That those are tough questions. I think as a a kid, I was very strong, um, pro-Christian. I had no problem talking about Jesus at school and, and introducing people to Christ. But then, you know, as a teenager, and of course I was always the awkward kind of outcast anyway in my class. So that, that just didn't help, but I grew up in a very, I'm going to put it in quotes, Christian community. It was a small community, um, heavily Lutheran, Methodist, Catholic. Um, I was part of the smaller denomination in the community um, because there weren't many. Yeah, there weren't many of those up north. Church of Christ was not very popular up north. You would be beat. They do not (laughs) consider themselves a denomination. No, they do not. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, So... I was probably okay with that until I was in my early twenties when I left the church. And if you know my story, you know, I left for 10 years and um, did everything I wasn't supposed to do. And at that time I would say, I really kind of hid my faith. What, what, what I had, it's not that I ever stopped believing in God. I just, I was angry and hurt and went the other way. And so it was easy because the people that I was around, none of them were church people. And it was easy to kind of hide that and just not talk about it. But then when I started coming back to church, that was, that's when it became really hard. That's when it became really hard because then it was, um, really expressing my faith out loud to people that I hadn't in the past. And that became more difficult for me. Hiding it under a bushel. No, Mm -hmm. no. Um, So I don't want to take up a lot of time, but like, so my son just got married and him and his wife came over for dinner last night. And so I don't think I'm breaking any confidence because I think she, she was saying this and, and in her, you know, they're in their middle twenties and it's a tough road right now uh, for people to speak about Christ and even just what to think, right? Like, what ideas are acceptable both to the faith or both to their friends and all that jazz. But she said something and, and I thought it was, uh, it was a good thing. She said, you know, I don't know. She had stopped going to church for a while, like a lot of people do or whatnot, but um, she was like, she stepped away. Maybe she said she felt like her faith was, she had to reorganize is what she was saying. And she said, I don't know how to say this, except I want people to know that I'm a Christian, even though I'm not necessarily connected right now to a particular body. I'm figuring things out. And she even said, you know, like, how will people know that I take my faith serious? How can I show that? And, um, and I think she was saying, you know, she wants to make sure her home's open and it's a safe place and like everybody can come and be welcome there. I think that's something we struggle with and, and Lent's probably a good time to really think about it. Um, Absolutely. And I I think Jen points that out here in her introduction when she is talking about herself and how she had to come back and everything old and tired suddenly became new and relevant. And she had this mental, emotional, relational and spiritual rebirth. I think when you go through those struggles, so would I go back and do things differently? I don't know that I would, because I think for me, it made me stronger in my faith. It made my convictions stronger because 
instead of believing something because somebody told me to, I believed it because I knew it to be true. Yeah. And we've said it before and I, and I hope people don't take this as a throwaway line. Faith is a journey and it really is a journey. And, and I think, you know, like, um, you know, um, wrestling with God along the journey, like, um, Jacob, and Esau and the way he was when he started this journey where he had to like flee for years before he came back. And then that night he wrestled with, with God. And, you know, I mean, like, that's what we do. And I I would, and it's not a, it's like when my daughter-in-law was talking, she, she felt somewhat, it sounded like she felt somewhat like shameful in the sense of she wasn't maybe demonstrating her faith in the conventional ways she was just in a, she's in a journey right now. And, and, uh, and I guess I say that to say Sunday school teachers, that doesn't just stop with 20 year olds. That'll continue on until you're in the grave and received in the arms of Jesus. We're just on the struggle. And I think there's a faithful way of doing it. Um, and that, that would be, I don't know, that's just hard. It's, it's good to struggle. And like you said, it's a way of manifesting the faith in a way that, is stronger after you go through the valley or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. She had a really good introduction. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll just ask this because it is Lent. That last discussion question would be, do you practice a Lenten ritual? Do I? Yes. What? Yes. Is it's it different every, every year? year. Okay. No, it's different every year. It depends. Um, last year it was more about fasting the year before, um, I really did the, the Daniel fast and trying to, you know, just eat fruits and vegetables. Didn't always work. I did my best. (laughs) I did my best this year. It is more, um, a, a time of spiritual discipline for me of just um, making sure that I take that time every day to yes. do my studies and to do my prayers and to have that quiet time with God. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's good. I mean, like, cause you want, you want to do rituals if they're meaningful and yeah. you know, so I, I fluctuate on the, I'm like you, I'll do something different every year. Now the last two or three years, mine has been more of just an, I don't know, intentional, uh, internal thinking more about my life, my purpose. Am I where God wants me, you know, shortcomings, really just thinking about shortcomings and I haven't really given up anything. Um, so, but anyway, I think it's, I think if you do a a Lenten journey, it really needs to be something maybe that you're struggling with, you know, I, this is a terrible joke. This is terrible, but in high school, my girlfriend and I, who were very faithful to our vows of purity, um, always joked that during Lent, we, we were going to remain pure. Well, that wasn't, <laughs> we were doing that anyway. It was stupid, right. <laughs> you know, but it was, you know, it, we just thought it was really funny because we were yeah. in high school and that was funny. But now that, now that I'm doing the Lenten journeys, it's, it's always needs to be something that I'm struggling with. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and right now it's making sure that I make time every day. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. All right. So now the exploring the historic or exploring the scripture, the historical setting, um, we get a little insight about how um, the Jewish folks structured their 
you know, their society, but under Roman rule. And mm-hmm. so uh, I've had this question before in a Sunday school class. Why did you have two different, why were two people named a high priest in this section? And so Jennifer does a good job in explaining that um, you had a high priest because the government wanted a certain high priest, but then the people mm-hmm. still had the desire or whatnot and rules that they actually recognized one, they recognized both because they had to. And so they ended up becoming a kind of a teamwork, especially right. in this, uh, this plot to get Jesus hung on a cross. So, yes. um, yeah. So you had Annas and then you had Caiaphas that were, uh, the high priest of the temple, right? So, uh, or ruling over the Sanhedrin, these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. What did you get out of, of this section? I really liked some of the things that she pointed out, you know, again, with Annas and, and Caiaphas, both being the high priest just kind of shows the, the power structure and the, um, sometimes the corrupt ruling, um, even amongst the, the religiosity. Um, but then I also really liked her idea of the interrogation. Um, you know, sometimes we just read those words in the scripture, thinking that they were just asking Jesus questions and not recognizing that it was kind of an interrogation of Jesus, that they were trying to get him to name names. Like, who is it? You know, is, is this plot deeper than we think it is? You know, are you planning an uprising? Um, (laughs) you know, is this an insurrection that we need to be worried about? Uh, and not realizing that this was really kind of a, you know, shine the light in the face. Hey, what are you going on? You know, I'm about to interrogation tactic. I'm going to step in it big time here. Oh, okay. And I don't mean to, but when I'm thinking about like a uh, modern day parallel, yeah. um, yeah. Oh Lord, please forgive me. And then if y'all are listening (laughs) to this, I'm just trying to come up with a parallel, but think of the way then that we have seen the January 6th stuff, like, and how, I mean, a bunch of it is, do we, do we define this as an insurrection or not? And then do we do that? I mean, like, and so you have, you have a governmental power, you have people, you have all this stuff and, and people are really trying to get to the bottom of things. Right. That's easy enough. Right. Did I tiptoe there good enough? You did. You did a great Um, job. Great job. But I mean, imagine, I mean, it just took up all the media stuff there for weeks or whatever. And then it's, it's all controversial. Me even saying that's probably going to get people fired up. So I would almost imagine that this is like the Sanhedrin is trying to figure out what's going on. And if they possibly can, they want to tie Jesus with as much uh, turmoil as possible so that they feel a little bit more righteous about getting this guy hung. Right. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, that was, that was the whole point was trying to dig up as much dirt as they could so that they had justification in their mind for, for wanting to see Jesus hung on the cross. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So let's see how many emails I get from that one, but take it as it is friends. This was an honest, I was just thinking that, that, I mean, it, it does illustrate what, what the high priests were trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she points out here in the last sentence of that, um, that only in John's account does Jesus protest the charges or, you know, talk about this. And I, and I think for our understanding of John, how John has structured his entire writing, this is just another way to help continue build that tension between Jesus and the ruling party at the time that it's just expanding that. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, like Isaiah, uh, like a, 
uh, sheep led to the slaughters is quiet. So he didn't open his mouth. That's where that. And so John is the only one that comes close to saying, well, I mean, there was that one time where, you know, like he said, and that's our memory verse, you know, it's like, uh, you know, if I've done anything wrong, then tell me. Right. And so I don't know if it's a protest as much as I think Jesus is also pointing out the fact. I think he he gives the Pharisees another opportunity or the Sanhedrin another opportunity to say, wait, am I've got have I gone to have we gone too far? Um, and I think that's the purpose of what Jesus was saying. Like, why why are you doing this? Um, maybe it's, you know, cause sometimes we need a moment of reflection. I know like a role yeah. of a mentor for me, any kind of mentor, parent or other preachers or, or whatever is, hey, just think about that for a minute, Chris, um, before you go whole hog on something. Right. And so yeah. maybe that's what Jesus was doing here. Less than defending himself. He was offering a way for people to be more introspective and mm-hmm. to maybe think deeper about what they were doing, which is yeah. good. It is. They're good. That's a good practice for Lent, too. <laughs> yes. Very good. All right. Anything else in that section that you want to? I don't think so. I don't right. She did a good job of that. Yep. So now the digging deeper, comparing scripture mm. with scripture section. This is really good. And I think what we see here is how like John sets, you know, for 12 chapters or 13 chapters, John is setting up this conflict. Yes. And now the conflict, we're it's a boat race at this point, right? And the other thing that it seems John does is that he's very intentional of showing how Jesus is the force behind all this crazy stuff that's happening. Like, this is just not dumb luck that's happening to Jesus, right? So anyway, that's that's what I'll, I'll let you throw in your... Yes. Your I love how she really points out that Jesus is always in complete control. And I love that because I think that's a great reminder for us today that despite the circumstances that we find ourselves in, whatever it is that we're facing, God is always in control. And, and here she points out how John really, the bottom of page 19, if you're following along in your book, she really has how Jesus is in control of each situation, no matter what it looks like. Jesus doesn't sneak away to betray Jesus. Jesus sends him out to do this. You know, it's just this continuation of, of this building up of, of coming to this culmination to this pinnacle point of, of the lamb being slaughtered um, and how through this entire process, it was still his choice. It was still his decision yes. to go through with this. So John, she um, quotes John 10, 17 and 18. I lay down my life in order to take it up again. Right. Um, and that's important. So that's why we say that what John is doing is showing that this isn't humiliation. Like this is not humiliation at all. You read the first one from 13, 27, how Judas mm-hmm. doesn't sneak away, but Jesus says, you know, go do your, go do your thing yeah. that was put in your heart. 18, four through six, the guards don't overpower Jesus in the garden, but instead he surrenders to them. In chapter 19, 16 and 17, Jesus carries his own cross and you don't get Simon's siren, right? Like right. Jesus is, is doing uh, 26 and 27. As he's dying on the cross, Jesus creates community, uniting his mother with the beloved disciple. And then 1930, Jesus says it's finished as in mission completed. And so again, you might, think that it was it was humiliated it was intended to be humiliation by the jews and the romans but god's weakness 
is greater than human strength. Um, God's wisdom greater than human knowledge. And so um, it's like, uh, it was a chosen thing. It wasn't humiliation for Christ. It was, yes. it was something, something different. It was, it was humbling. It wasn't a humiliation. I think you said that in the beginning. It wasn't a humiliation. It was a humbling. It yeah. was a humbling himself as the servant, even though fully man, fully divine, he still chose to take this humble position. Yeah. For- we'll get into that uh, on the next section, how that works. It's kind of a something from last week, but, uh, but yeah. anyway, the other thing that I would uh, highlight in this is that uh, in this chapter, it's the funniest thing. I think it's funny. Like the, the religious authorities are doing everything they can to stay ritually pure so that they don't miss the Passover while at the same time yeah. killing the Passover lamb, right? Like the yes. Messiah. And it's like, holy goodness, is that not an illustration of how sometimes we, the church, can just miss the point? Um, good religious people yeah. who think they're doing the right thing are just missing the point. Can't see Jesus. I don't know. It's, that's pretty tough when you go through yeah. these chapters. Um, Can't see the forest through the trees. Right? Yeah. Um, and then, Becky, I'll let you talk about, but then we also have in this passage the, the denial of Christ by Peter. Yeah. So yes. what, what do you think there? Peter, Peter jumps in and, and goodness knows I love Peter. I identify with Peter sometimes more right. than I want to. Yeah. I mean, just he's gung ho. He's excited. He is. He's told Christ earlier, 1337, that I'm going to lay down my life for you. I mean, it's earlier the same night. And then all of a sudden, bam, you know, he's here. He's watching the trial. He's watching what's happening. He's standing there with the guards. And then when he's confronted no. No, I don't, I don't know who that guy is. No, I'm not. No, no, I'm not. Who? Jesus, who? I have no idea who you're talking about, you know? I mean, it's just amazing that he can go from one aspect to another aspect, but at the same time, given the circumstances that he found himself in, I can only imagine how frightening and terrifying that had to be, you know? Um, and, and have we... You know, this is probably why I identify with Peter so much, because there are moments that I can stand up and say, yes, I will do everything that I possibly can for you. But then if there's ever a confrontation, you know, maybe I question myself or I feel like I'm personally in danger, then I don't know. You know, that's that's a tough one. It's what uh, I love, Peter. Yeah. Mike Tyson says, you know, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth and then it becomes yeah. real. Right. Right. Uh, sure. Sure. We all would like to say that we're going to stand up for Jesus when, you know, I mean, I've had these theoretical conversations with so many different church people, you know, somebody pulled a gun on you and, and asked you to renounce your faith. Would you, I can tell you right now, no, I would not. But when I'm, face in the barrel of a gun i don't know yeah so let me say something about that too okay you just clicked up a uh, a good thing an illustration okay. i remember um i went to the bible college where some really great preachers came out of fred craddock went to this bible college way back when oh. for a couple of years or whatnot but he came back uh to do a uh to do a sermon at our chapel it was like homecoming a homecoming for a bible college by the way is uh, a week of preaching is what homecoming is anyway um 
but in his sermon one time, he, he, he talked something about this, about, um, uh, you know, proclaiming Christ or, or you know, admit, admitting Christ when you're, anyway, here's the illustration. He said when he was a, when he was a kid, when he was a child, like a real, real small kid, um, he remembered missionary, a missionary came in and this missionary would talk about how in this country they were ministering to people could literally get killed for Jesus. And they said, you know, over the last year of their mission work, they had eight different people who, when they accepted Christ, went back to like their tribal leaders or whatever, and they were killed. And anyway, this, so this minister goes on and it was a church, Christ Christian church. Um, so they were, you know, evangelistic, uh, zeal. And, uh, anyway, he said during the moment, that's when God kind of, you know, he's like a nine-year-old kid. It's, it's, he was being convicted to go down and accept Christ. But in his mind, nine-year-old mind, he was like, that's it. Once I do this, I'm dead. And so he said, before he went up to the altar, he told his mom and dad goodbye. He loved them. And he fully expected that as he was going up the aisle, uh, he was going to be killed, right? Because he was accepting Christ and all this stuff anyway. And then he said this, he said, but I wished it were that way because that in its own way would be slightly easier because you could make that one moment of bravado and you'd be done and you'd be welcomed to the heaven. He said, but what I've found out is Christ calls you for years to write those little checks. He said, little checks that uh, add up to, to real, you know, real money. He said, you know, 35 cents here, a dollar 50 there, 20 bucks here throughout your life. You remain faithful at every single moment. And I think that's eventually what Peter got to, right? Yes. He was, his life after this was feeding the sheep of Christ. And he ultimately, if you, if you go with what church tradition holds, he did have to give up his life, but he also remained faithful on those little moments from this point on. Right. So, yeah, I don't know if that has anything to do with anything, but it's a good illustration. No, (laughs) I think it goes back to that. Our faith is a journey, just like Peter's faith was a journey. Yeah. I mean, he had the zeal, he had the excitement, he had what he thought he needed, but then he suffered this moment of just, you know, and the other gospels, he leaves when the cock crows, he just leaves and weeps. Yeah. And just because he's so upset for what has happened, but it's building his faith. It's making him stronger. It's testing him in a way that he became even more than he was before. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, that's all of us. That's all of our journeys is, is those little moments, those little checks where we stand faithful, right. 35 cents, $20, whatever it happens to be. We you don't get to write that one stronger. big million dollar check. You got to do right. it yeah. around time. Yeah. Yep. And it, and it, and it grows our faith. It makes us stronger in who we are and, and our conviction stronger. Yeah. So, Beautiful. yeah, it, that, that was good. I, that was 20 years ago. I heard that illustration, but I'll never That's get it. That's amazing. Um, so the discussion question then, and, and with Lent and all this, yeah. I think then what we understood. So the discussion question is in John 21, or excuse me, in Matthew 10, 33, Jesus warns whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my father in heaven. In John 21, though, Jesus restores his relationship with Peter. Uh, what a gracious or gift of gracious forgiveness. Is that same grace available to anyone who denies Jesus in public? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's kind of what Lent might be, 
like you 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 know you receive the imposition of the ashes and you think you know from dust i came to dust i will return you know dust you came from dust it's not where you start it's where you finish right it's uh, you know you will go back to dust but there's a lot in between you know from birth to, to death and you'll grow each and every time and i think yeah the intention to grow is pretty important like you won't be perfect yeah I think if we're not growing, you know, and that's one thing that I've found with people of faith is it's not because I go to church on Sunday morning that makes me a faithful person. It's because each day I have intentionality to do the best that I can to follow the example of Christ. And does that mean I'm going to do it perfect? No, surely not. But each day I try. Right. And I do the best that I possibly can. And I think that's, you know, that's Peter. He, he recognized where he was wrong. And yet he woke up the next morning with a vigor to do better. So all you can ask lots of times. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think this leads us, we can carry on the conversation from the learning from the scripture, the witness of the church. There's two things here to bring up. One we're talking about right now, but in our confession of faith, 5.08 reads, because the church in the world consists of persons who are imperfect in knowledge and in the power to do God's will. She waits with eager longing for the full redemption of the family of God. Until that time, God wills that all believers worship and witness through the church in the world and promises to guide her life and growth of the Holy Spirit. And I think what our confession of faith does is to acknowledge the imperfectness in knowledge and power. And so, but the promise is the Holy Spirit still resides in you and the Holy Spirit then convicts you and then we repent and then we move on to the next thing. And I, that, again, something that we've talked about, so we don't need to go over it again, but I mean, at least our confession of faith recognizes it. Yeah. And um, as a Sunday school teacher or a preacher, um, part of your role is to encourage those who are, those who are weak or, yeah. you know, have, you know, and so I think that's pretty good. Um, but then the second one is the Cumberland Presbyterian Confession of Faith 6.01. This is probably my favorite section in our Confession of Faith. It says, through Jesus Christ, God frees persons from the shackles of oppression or frees persons from the shackles, oppression, and the shame of sin and sinful forces from the guilt and penal consequence of sin and enables them to have free access to God. This freedom, rooted in love, not fear, enables persons to become who God intends them to be, to bear witness to their Lord and to serve God and neighbors in their vocations of their common life. This is where it's not humiliation, but humility. It's in, it's in that freedom, uh, what the, the, uh, the freedom rooted in love, not fear, enables persons to become who God intends them to be. In some sense, it's a carryover from the washing of the feet Jesus knew his freedom in Christ or in God. And so he humbled himself to wash feet. But now you have like, I think Jennifer called him the uh, uh, parables in action or whatever she yes. said. Yep. Now yep. you have this parable in action of Jesus on the cross, but it's because of his security in God. He's yes. not humiliated, but he's choosing to become all whatever this says. What is it yeah. to become who God intends them to be? Yes. And it's that freedom in love, not fear. Yeah. Yeah. It's that freedom in love, not fear. And what a beautiful thing for us today, especially when we're walking through Lent, that 
we have that same freedom, that freedom to be secure in who Jesus was and is, to be secure in a relationship with him, to be secure in knowing that the Messiah died for our sins so that we can repent, ask for forgiveness, turn and go back the other direction, even on days that we struggle, even on days where Peter fails, that we can get up and say, I recognize where I have done wrong and, and continue on that path. And follow through with and say, and now we can take up our cross and follow Christ because we're secure in Christ, just as Christ was secure in God. We can open our, ourselves to these services, which isn't as much fun as you might think sometimes, but not, not always, but that's what we do. We, we find our security and then we, we open ourselves up in vulnerability by taking up a cross. Ooh, the vulnerability of that. That's what Jennifer gets to on the bottom of of page 21. Come on. Um, Yeah, she really gets into this because she says the last two paragraphs on this page, she says, who among us is truly worthy to undertake God's work? None of us, but all of us. Yeah, that's a good one. We are not called to be perfect or even successful. And this is one I love the sons, but to follow faithfully where God leads and trust that God will be with us each step of the way. That is the humbling of ourselves to follow God each day, but to trust. And that is such a hard thing because we tend to be so focused on what we can do and what we're capable of that God often calls us to really uncomfortable things. And it's through our trusting him that we can make through that we can make it through. Yeah. 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 That's good. And I'll say another thing that comes up in the ministry that I've done or I do with churches or whatnot, if you do what you can do in your own strength, you will reap the benefit of your own strength and your own skills. But what we seek as Christians is to deny ourselves and pick up what God wills for us which is scary, but the results are often much better. (laughs) Way better. But it's, it's, it goes back to that having that security and a relationship with Christ being secure in what Christ has already done, that we can trust him for our future, that we can trust that again, that God is always in control despite our circumstances, despite what's going on in the world around us, despite what the news keeps piling on our heads, that God is still in control. And it's our trusting in him being secure in that relationship that we can continue to pick up our cross and keep moving forward. Very good. Very good stuff. That's going to lead us to our applying the scripture, sharing insights. Um, So, Again, we're talking about Peter and how he caves under the pressure and all that good stuff. We talk about Judas's betrayal, um, and she kind of juxtaposes those two things to where Peter kind of just got caught up in a moment. Judas's was kind of more mediated or meditated, um, and she says it's Peter's betrayal that haunts her. And, and I wonder, and, and I guess when I was thinking about that, I guess it's because 
I don't think I'm ever going to like try to plot against Jesus, but I could fold in a heartbeat if something got too hot for me. Right. Sure. So I don't identify with Judas, Judas as much as I do. Like you said, I do identify with Peter um, because like, again, until you get punched in the mouth, you can say a lot of things, but then when it yeah. happens, you gotta, you gotta find that strength somewhere else. Probably. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, you know what you got there? I, I, I agree with what you're saying. She says on the bottom of page 22, it's one thing to declare our faith in the midst of the faithful, right. but quite another to stay true to those words when we stand alone. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Third paragraph on third paragraph on the bottom on page 22. We may talk a big game from the safety of our own couches surrounded by the faithful. Like I said, when we stand and recite the apostles creed, kneel and pray the Lord's prayer, lift our arms and praise to Jesus. I have no doubt that we mean every word in those moments. Um, but it's one thing. Yeah. Like you said, it's one thing to declare the faith, but then stand alone. I mean, it's, she's yeah. got it right there. I think. Absolutely, because it is really easy for us to come to church, come together on, on a Sunday morning and sing praises and prayers and lift up our petitions to God because we're we're yeah. comfortable and we feel safe within a group of a fellowship of believers that are encouraging us and helping us on, on our path. But when you go back to your workplace, when you go out to the store, when you you know, have family members who you love dearly, who do not believe the same that you do. Um, it is a whole nother thing to stand there and declare your allegiance to um, the amazing Messiah that we declare our allegiance to and to be able to do that with controversy surrounding you. Yeah. So I was trying to think to about situations I've been in. And, and I, I'm going to assume that if you're a Sunday school teacher, you've probably been in this position. But then if you're a, if you're a student, I'm sure you have. And I don't think I don't know if I'd ever just outright deny Christ by saying I, what him who what I wouldn't do that. But I've found myself in my life, even as a minister, to where I felt strongly the Holy Spirit saying witness to this person. Mm-hmm. and I didn't for all the uncomfortable reasons. Is that the same as denying Christ? Maybe because I certainly didn't put myself out there to say I'm a disciple of Christ and here, like I I'm led to share this with you. I'd rather stay comfortable and move on. And so I think mm-hmm. that might be one way that we think about this. Um, when we deny not Christ per se, like I don't know him, but we deny the work that God's calling us to do or the situations which God calls us into. Um, so I think that's how I've meant, I'm thinking about this. Um, because we probably just won't have a lot of opportunities in life to be like, no, Jesus, no, don't know him. (laughs) No, but we do have those times. I don't know, Becky, you ever had that where you're like, I need to do this. And then you're like, ah, that's just too much. Yeah. Um, you know, as I've grown in my faith, it's been easier to approach those uncomfortable situations, but man, there were times I I remember standing in stores and just feeling the spirit pushing me. There was, there's somebody standing in front of me, uh, that 
I overheard a conversation or whatever it happens to be, or maybe it was just the spirit pushing me to, you know, I really want you to go pray for that person. I want you to tell them that God knows that God hears. And I'm just like, you want me to do what? Yeah. Who, me, what? Like, like, I don't know that person. Yeah. I, I don't want them to think I'm crazy. Um, I'm what, if, what if they get mad at me, you know, and I'm running through the list of what ifs in my mind. And there have been times that I've just not done what I felt like I was supposed to do. And later I felt incredibly convicted yeah. because as I grew in my faith, I've also been in situations where I've left a hospital before. And this woman was standing next to me in an elevator weeping. I have no idea why but I felt that same feeling. And when we got off the elevator, I told her, I said, I don't know you and you don't know me, but I really feel like I'm supposed to pray for you right now. Is that okay? And she just stood there and cried as I prayed over her for whatever was going on in her life. I've never seen the woman again. I have no idea. But then I felt convicted for all those people that I didn't, that I went, Oh, that's really creepy. I'm not doing that. Yeah. That that's hard. And that's hard yeah. because you do have that huge list of what ifs. Yeah. What what if they think I'm crazy? Yeah. You know? That's yeah. Tough. So that that's kind of I, I like so fundamentally, I'm an introvert, like and and I'm almost Presbyterian, like John Calvin's <laughs> cousin. But like I'm, I'm, I'm very good at just saying that's between you and God, your relationship is between you and God. I'll preach, I'll teach or whatever. But if it breaches the personal, I get all kinds of squirrely. Um, and so um, the question, the discussion question is think of a time that God worked through your failure to make you more Christ-like or to draw you closer. What lessons did you learn about who God is and who you are? Have, how have those lessons shaped the way you follow Christ? So I recognize that myself. And so I decided, I was like, well, at least I'm going to start with my kids or my family, right? Like when things happen. So I've made myself be very, I might've said this in an episode way long ago or whatever, but like when my kids come to me with those, like, Hey, what do you think about? I'll just, I'll say, okay, I've got the Jesus answer. I've got the worldly answer. And I've got the one you probably want to hear, which one do you want? But then I'll go, right. right? And, but I'll give myself, that's my way of giving myself permission of saying, um, we're going to make this a little bit about Jesus just with my kids. And then I've, then I've figured out now uh, through just that little step, um, I'm a little more secure now in those kinds of things. So I think, um, I think I love what, uh, what Reverend Jennifer wrote here Yes. in the bottom well, the bottom, pretty much the bottom paragraphs. It may well yep. be that the help Peter needs most of all on this night when he is pledged to die with Jesus and has cut off the servant's ear in the garden is a little humility, a little reality check, a little public embarrassment, a little moment of failure, a little remorse to eventually become the rock upon which a church would be built. Maybe Peter needs to crumble a little first. And I think I've experienced that. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's pretty good. What about you? I mean, is I, I agree with this wholeheartedly. I mean, that was, that to me was just like the high point of, of this lesson and, and how it works in our life. Because I think if we don't crumble first, then we have reliance upon ourselves and not reliance upon God. And yeah. without reliance upon God, we don't have anything. No, we don't have any real strength, nothing of lasting no. effect for sure. No. 
I mean, we can puff ourselves up all we want to, but it, unless we're relying and trusting in him. Clanging gongs, sounding cymbals. That's right. You don't have love or Jesus. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just an excellent way to end the lesson with, with that thought process. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a good lesson for reflection for sure. I'm sure most people, uh, can identify with characters like Peter or like David. That's what I think Peter's a new Testament, David. That's what I think about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I mean, we all find ourselves in a story and I think part of the scripture inspiration for today is number one, Jesus, um, is, is on a mission for you and me. That's one thing we get Mm -hmm. from this lesson. The second thing is from dust we became and dust will return. We're human, but we're also on a journey to be stronger, just like Peter. Um, yeah. So it's important there. And to recognize that we're going to fail and that's okay. Lots. It, you're going to fail and yeah. it's totally okay. Lots, lots. All repent, right. Come back. Yeah. Repent, come back, pick up your cross, try again. Yep. That's what it's all about. Any parting shots, Reverend? Mm, enjoy the Lenten season. We're we're what coming up halfway through already. It seems like it's just going April, so fast. So April seventeenth is Easter. Enjoy right? the rest of this Lenten season and just really reflecting on on where you are in your journey with God. Yeah, I guess that's all I got. So now may the Lord bless you, keep you, make His face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May He turn His t- turn His face towards you and give you peace. Amen. And we'll see you next week. Amen.